off a day and welcome to another episode of Live Till 5. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin, on this Friday, October 28th. Happy rainy afternoon to you listening in your car to the stereo on 88.1 FM. Driving around in this rainy weather. Be safe. Glad you're with us today. This is episode 189. Approaching our 200th episode. And uh, glad to be spending the Friday afternoon with you. It was a day out of class for Harvest Christian Academy students today. Because it was a staff training day. And uh, so we had a lot of students that were happy about that. number of people setting up for the Harvest House Craft Fair right now. We'll be talking to some folks that are in charge of that in just a little while here on the show. If you ever miss part of the show, tune in on Saturdays from noon to 2 or Sunday nights, 7 to 9 p.m. Catch us on The Rebound when we rebroadcast this two-hour show in its entirety here on 88.1 FM. There are a lot of different ways you can listen to the show, actually. You can also go to khmg.org, click on the Listen tab. And through khmg.org, you can listen through TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, RSS, there are about half a dozen different ways that you can stay connected to us. You can listen to the podcast or download the podcast and listen at your convenience. A lot of people don't have two hours wall-to-wall to listen to the whole show, but they don't want to miss part of it or they might want to listen to part of it later on or refer it on to a friend or family member. Send them to khmg.org. There's a lot of different ways that they can not only tune into this content, but also the content that we produce locally here like... Harvest Time, or uh, our Heart of Harvest program, or Building Great Leaders with Dr. Les Olala, Living Redemptively. You can listen to these podcasts on our website as well, and I encourage you to do so. Glad you're with us. Some of you might be listening from your computer right now, or on your free downloadable app like TuneIn, and listening online or over your data plan. Glad you're with us. So we always love to hear from those that are out there listening. Sometimes you surprise us when you uh, let us know you're listening. So find us on Facebook as well. Harvest Family Radio has a Facebook page. We really appreciate it when you give us a thumbs up on there. Like us. That helps you to follow us when we release new content. We upload it to our Facebook page. Give you a little link so you can listen that way. Leave us some comments. I think we had a few comments even today come in through our Facebook page. Uh, private messaging, and uh, we try and get back with you as soon as we can when we get those messages. We'd love to interact with you. Give us some ideas what topics you think we could cover in the show because one thing that I really love is listener-submitted content, and today our theme is based on some listener-submitted content. We're going to be talking about Vincent Van Gogh. Vincent Van Gogh, an iconic uh Dutch painter, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about his style and why in the world we're even talking about Vincent van Gogh, of all things. I mean, not my field of expertise, but definitely piqued my interest this week, and it was all because one of our faithful listeners gave me the idea to talk about that, and we'll expand it to talk about art and painting and some of the most expensive paintings ever stolen, some of the most expensive things ever ever appraised on the Antiques Roadshow and uh, some of the benefits of art. And then at the very end of the show, we are going to talk a little bit about a great little devotional article I read this week. Does it matter whether God exists? We're going to talk about that question at the very end of the show today. So stick around for the whole 
two hours of Live Till 5. We love having you with us every Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. Again, this is our 189th episode on this Friday, October 28th, 3.09 p.m. if you're listening live. If you're listening on Saturday afternoon, it's probably about uh, 12.09. And if you're listening Sunday night, it's probably about 7.09. So give or take a minute. But you know this week, by the way, I was reminded of this because if you go to our local big box um, hardware and lumber store, Home Depot, the store is already full-on Christmas. And it's and it's pretty. I mean, right now, especially since everything's not sold yet and things like that, but uh, it's it's full-blown Christmas time now uh, in some of the retail locations out there. And it's hard to believe that we're already thinking about Christmas. It seems like we just came off of Labor Day. But uh, as I was thinking about that, did you know that this week, all the way back in 1858, R.H. Macy, R.H. Macy opens a fancy dry goods store at 20406 6th Avenue, New York City. So you've heard of 6th Avenue, where a lot of the shopping places are? Yeah, R.H. Macy opened his fancy dry goods store in 1858. And we still have Macy's today. Pretty cool. Wanted to read you one little kind of funny little story that I read this week. Let me just read this to you. This is from a devotional by Josh McDowell Ministries. Three people. I don't usually do these kind of stories, just so you know. If you're a first-time listener, this is a rare thing, but it's funny. Trust me. And this show is intended to make you smile and laugh, so hopefully this will do the trick, especially if you've had a bad day. I digress. Three people, a minister and two kids, once went on a short sightseeing flight in a small four-passenger plane. One of the kids had just been honored in a national news magazine as the, quote, the smartest kid in the world, end quote. Suddenly, the pilot shouted to his passengers over the roar of the engine, we've got a big problem, he said. Our gas tank has a leak in it, and we're going to run out of gas in just a couple minutes. We're going to have to jump. That's not so bad, the minister said, forcing a nervous smile. I've always wanted to learn to skydive. The pilot shook his head. We only have three parachutes. One of us isn't going to make it. I've got a family. I can't leave them alone without a father. Well, I'm the smartest kid in the world, said one kid. I may be the only person who can discover a cure for cancer or AIDS or something like that. You two will have to fight this out between you. And with that, the kid grabbed one of the parachutes and jumped out of the plane. The minister turned to the other kid and said, You take the other two parachutes, the kid and the pilot. I'm not afraid to die. Thanks, the other kid said, but we've got nothing to worry about. The smartest kid in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. Yes, I know, I know. Hopefully that made you grin at least a little bit. Maybe just a little bit. Kind of one of those uh, courtesy grins, maybe. Oh, well. Maybe this will amuse you. One of my favorite segments. The buck stops here. Words of wisdom from the desks and walls of many a famous American, whether that be a politician, a businessman, scholar, theologians, etc. This guy kind of goes along with a little bit of the uh, story we just said about R.H. Macy. This man's the chairman of the board and majority shareholder of Hallmark Cards, 
the world's largest greeting card manufacturer, and one of the world's largest privately held companies. He was one of three children of Joyce Hall, who started selling greeting cards in her Kansas City YMCA at the age of 15 and subsequently found Hallmark Cards, which quickly grew into a major corporation. I know a lot about this because I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. During Hall's tenure as the head of Hallmark, he expanded the company in both crayons, buying Crayola products, and television production, Hallmark Entertainment. And it is Hallmark Christmas movie season, by the way. Anyway, Hallmark's greeting cards operation also began consistently to account for more than half of all greeting cards sold in the United States. He is one of Kansas City's billionaires in the Hall Family Foundation, which he founded as one of the largest philanthropic organizations in the United States. And the sign that he had on his desk, the little plaque, said this, The enemy of better is best. The enemy of better is best. Words of wisdom from Mr. Hall himself. And if you're ever going to quote someone with a little catchy little phrase, it'd be the guy who made a billion dollars on catchy little phrases, the Hallmark Card Corporation, right? And that's The Buck Stops Here. I just love doing that, reading those little quotes. I'm going to run out of some pretty soon. If you, as a listener, have a good one or you want me to check into someone, send me a personal message on Facebook, Harvest Family Radio, and uh, I'll check it out and do my best. I love the listener-submitted content, so I'm telling you, I'll even recognize you. Like today, my listener-submitted content came from SR. SR, thank you very much for sending in your content. And, uh, yeah. Now, I have some other listener-submitted content. We do this every week. From the Dictionary of Idioms by Marvin Turban. Scholastic book. More than one million copies sold, apparently, when this book was published. This was given to me by PC. She's a faithful listener. School teacher. And uh, she said, actually, this is one of her children's books, but... For some reason, it just appeals to me. Here are some idioms. These these little turns of phrase, these little figures of speech that we use that are so common in much of our vernacular. But uh, if you're just learning English conversationally, some of these you might not know where they came from or why people use them. So I want to make sure that uh, I give you a little background on this. For example, what does it mean to hitch your wagon to a star? Some word experts think the famous American writer Ralph Waldo Emerson first used this expression in an essay he wrote in 1870. Hitch means to attach. Wagon stands for any vehicle. It takes you somewhere. Star symbolizes the highest place to which a person can aspire. So if you're ambitious and set high goals for yourself, you're, quote, hitching your wagon to a star, end quote. Hold a candle to. You ever hear someone say, I can't hold a candle to them? Well, In the 1500s, according to this book here, long before electric lights, servant boys held large candles or torches to light the way for their masters when they went out at night in the long, dark streets to theaters, clubs, inns, and other places. The torches were called links, and the boys were called link boys. Never knew that. They had to hold their candles and walk with their masters just right so that their masters could see where they were going. Even though they were performing an important job, they, weren't, um, they were among the lowest level of servants. But there could actually be someone even lower, a person who wasn't qualified to hold the candle. Today we use the phrase to describe someone we consider inferior to someone else in some characteristics, talent, or ability. So 
If you can't hold a candle to someone, it means you're inferior, you're not in the same class with, you're not fit to be compared to. Hold the fort. Well, this expression comes from the military, widely used in books and movies about the Old West. Often when a fort was being attacked on the frontier during the Civil War, the soldiers defending it were told to, quote, hold the fort, don't give up. Help is on the way, end quote. Today you can hold the fort by watching the children in someone's house until the parent returns or by taking care of the store while the owner's away. That's hold the fort. Hold your horses. This is something that we say a lot where I'm from, even though there's not that many horses. 19th century Americanism originated as an instruction to a carriage driver who was letting his team of horses go too fast. By pulling back on the reins, the driver could slow the horses to a stop. This was called holding the horses. The saying might have also come from the harness racing. Rookie drivers often started their horses too soon, and the starter had to yell, Hold your horses! Today, the phrase refers to slowing down and being patient in whatever you're doing. Hold your horses. Here's another horse one for all of you equine people. Equestrian, uh, equestrian-loving people. A horse of a different color. William Shakespeare used a similar phrase in his play, The Twelfth Night, written in 1601. Some people think the expression may have come from betting on a racehorse of one color and then a horse of another color winning. Whatever the origin of the saying, horse stands for an idea in different colors sometimes or another color means a new thought. And, and then it kind of goes on. You know, the movie The Wizard of Oz, 1939, Dorothy actually rode around the Emerald City in a buggy pulled by a horse that kept changing colors. She was told that this was the horse of a different color. Remember that? First time I saw that as a little child, I thought that I was imagining it. Uh, Let's see here. Finally, here's one last one. Hot under the collar. Though this expression became popular in the 1800s, it has been observed for centuries that when people become angry, their faces and necks tend to turn red. And under their collars, their necks are getting hot. You'd better watch out. They might blow their stacks. To be hot under the collar means to be very angry or upset. And those are our idioms for today. What we're going to do is we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we have This Day in History with Lawrence Nangas. He is back on island now, thankfully. And we have an interview with some of the ladies that are going to be organizing the Harvest House Craft Fair. So we have a number of things to talk about, some Stranger Than Fiction, the theme of the day, Vincent Van Gogh art, and some really cool stuff. And then in the end, end of the show, end of the second hour, we're going to talk about does it matter whether God exists. So stick around. A lot more Live Till 5 coming at you after this short break. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host, here on KHMG 88.1 FM, Harvest Family Radio. And we're back with a little more Live Till 5. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin. Our 189th episode, believe it or not. Well, you ought to believe it. I just said it. and I wouldn't lie to you about that, or hopefully about anything. It's the 28th of October, 2016. Just in case you're listening, 100 years in the future, to one of our mini podcasts. 
I don't know what you'll be listening to it on in the future. Maybe it'd be some kind of holographic device that makes you a cappuccino while it, you know, replays the old podcast. I'm not sure. Anyway, it is Friday, October 28th, 324 p.m. And uh, no wind right now, according to our super fancy weather system here at Harvest Family Radio. But it is only 77 degrees outside, 42 percent humidity 29.71 barometric pressure holding steady there almost half an inch of rain today but yeah no breeze right now at all really and uh just a nice kind of dreary afternoon not too hot uh kind of a little bit of a relief since earlier this week we had a yes that's our percussion section folks that's okay uh we had a 100 degree heat index earlier this week so uh, 77 degrees is a nice, nice uh, respite, I guess you could say, from that super hot weather. I hope that uh, you have a chance to check out uh, some of our other great programs that we produce here at Harvest Family Radio. I'm not not saying that to pat myself on the back. I don't actually do any of the work on producing any of these other programs. So this is not shameless self-promotion. This is just trying to tell you where you can get some really good resources. You go to khmg.org. We have a number of different programs that you can listen to either live along with our beautiful Christian music and, and biblical uh, preaching and teaching programs and biblical worldview news and things like that. But you can listen to programs that we produce locally like Building Great Leaders, Heart of Harvest, things like that, uh, Living Redemptively. You can listen to those on our website, khmg.org, and there are a number of very simple obvious buttons that you can uh, click on there, little tabs you can click on to to find the things that you're looking for and listen to and download. There's SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, RSS. There's a lot of different ways that you can go with that. But uh, uh, a lot of people use the TuneIn app, which is a free kind of radio-type app. It, it doesn't actually use radio waves, but it finds radio stations that have online streaming and uh, you can listen through TuneIn. And the cool thing about that is you can actually put the app on your phone or your tablet, uh, anything like that, and kind of use your Wi-Fi or Internet connection to be able to listen to the radio anytime that is convenient for you. And the really cool thing about things like TuneIn and others is that you can pause it for a few seconds. So you have to step away from the radio, the, the stream, and come back. You can actually pause uh, the radio show so that uh, you don't have to miss it all when you step away. So kind of a cool way to listen. Anyway, glad that you're with us today. It is 327 in the afternoon. And as I said earlier, our theme for today is going to be Vincent Van Gogh and different types of art, the most expensive paintings ever sold, the most expensive things ever appraised at the Antique Roadshow. But the way we got onto this theme for today is such a random thing and really it's thank you to SR one of our faithful listeners for uh suggesting this but um I was getting ready to make a K cup of coffee in my office now if you're not a coffee person you might not understand what a K cup is it's one of those little pre-measured disposable coffee dispenser cups it's like a little pod almost you pop it into a machine and you can have a predetermined amount of water run through it and uh, based on the size of cup you put in there. And you get like a perfect cup of coffee every time. Now, you might not like 
the kind of coffee you, you have to choose wisely but so I have a K-cup machine in the office that uh, myself and the music pastor Kevin and Fuku share and right next to the K-cup machine I noticed a glass bowl full of probably pretty dirty water I mean it was clear but you know it's dirty like you wouldn't drink it you wouldn't even want to put your hand in there and in it is a golf ball some colorful gemstones, fake, and then a blue fish swimming around. It's one of those beta fishes with the real flowy tails and things like that. I don't know if you're a fish lover or not. Me, not so much. I mean, maybe breaded, pan-fried, with a little cocktail sauce on the side, but not like just to watch them in the bowl. They seem to me to be kind of worthless. They're the equivalent. You could actually take a fishing lure and put it in a bowl of water and get the same amount of enjoyment and never have to clean it out. That's that's how I feel. Matter of fact, it might be even more interesting because like if you had one that had like hooks and stuff like that, at least you know you can imagine, you know, reeling in the big one. But you know, little beta fish and things like that, there's no relationship. They're not glad to see you. They might not even know you're there. Um, they pretty much swim around in circles and then they die. And they live in a filthy environment. Um, so, you know, there's not much, not much there for me when it comes to having a, a fish in my office. And, you know, growing up, they were goldfish. But now we don't have goldfish. Now we have, this one's like an indigo-colored fish. And um, his name is Van Gogh. I don't know where he got the name. Maybe because he's so colorful um, you know, maybe he has a substance abuse problem. Maybe he's missing one ear. I'm not sure, but Van Gogh the fish is uh, temporarily crashing in my office because his rightful master, uh, Pastor Marty Heron, is off island right now. And so Kevin thought that the fish might be lonely. And so he brought this sea creature into the office and put it right next to the coffee machine so I get to look at it all the time and so you know if you're a fish lover great this fish's name is Van Gogh it kind of got me thinking about Van Gogh because SR was telling me about a story how maybe Van Gogh's death was not a suicide but maybe it was a homicide murder or manslaughter I'm going to talk about that in just a little bit as well and so uh, Vincent Van Gogh is interesting to look up not only uh, a little bit about his life which was kind of tragic but also about uh, his paintings. Beautiful. He saw the world in a totally different way and uh, pretty cool um, looking at the artwork he did and the value of the artwork is unbelievable. So we're going to talk about that and some other valuable types of art as well. And so we, we have a lot of that ahead of us, especially in the second hour But just to start it off, let me give you a little bio of Vincent Van Gogh. This is Van Gogh's short biography, and um, this is from the VanGoughGallery.com. So if anyone would know, I would imagine it's the Van Gogh Gallery. Anyway, here you go, and then we'll take a short break. Vincent Van Gogh was born near Brabant in southern Holland, March 30th, 1853, the oldest son of a Dutch minister. He grew to become... One of the most well-known and influential artists in the 19th century, Van Gogh tried his hand at several different vocations, including working for Groupiel and Company, an art dealership, 
at the age of 16 with his four-year younger brother, Theo, teaching as an assistant at Ramsgate and acting as a layman preacher to the poor coal mining district in Belgium before finally deciding to become an artist at the age of 27. So he was actually a traveling minister for a while. His early works are very dark, portraying downtrodden city dwellers as well as Dutch peasants at work. Van Gogh's relationship with his younger brother Theo was, a well, doc- was well documented in the vast number of letters that the brothers sent to each other. Van Gogh's letters to his brothers and the other artists provided insight into the life of this painter. In 1886, Van Gogh moved to Paris, where he lived with his brother, now the manager of Groupils, who's who financially supported the artist. In Paris, Van Gogh became familiar with the work of the Impressionists and the Neo-Impressionists. He befriended Pizarro, Monet, and Gauguin. Uh, Van Gogh began to lighten his color palette and experimented with the different shorter brush strokes. His work changed from peasant work to, the, to images of Paris, portrait, self-portraits, and images of flowers. In 1888, at the age of 35, Van Gogh moved from Paris to Arles, where he had dreams of starting a community of artists. Theo continued to support him financially and tried to sell his artwork. Fellow artist Paul Gauguin joined him for a short time, however. The two frequently had uh, disagreements, and Gauguin soon left. Van Gogh threatened Gauguin with a razor and up cutting off portion of his own ear. Struggling with fits of madness, Van Gogh spent time in the asylum in Arles and then in St. Remy. Van Gogh spent much time in the asylum at St. Remy, though it was later believed that he suffered from epilepsy. While there, he painted some 150 paintings. Upon his release in 1890, he went to Auvers sur Ois. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, don't speak French. Where he was under the care of physician and painter Dr. Paul Gachet. In two months, Van Gogh was averaging a painting a day. And at the age of 37, Van Gogh attempted suicide. While in a wheat field, he shot himself in the chest. He died two days later with his brother at his side. Six months later, Theo died as well and was buried next to his brother in the small church of Auvers sur Ois. That's Van Gogh's life and death. And we're going to talk about his paintings and his uh, impact on the art world, especially the neo-impressionist painting style that he had. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back... This Day in History, What's in My Coffee, the news, an interview with the ladies running the Harvest House Craft Fair, and more about Van Gogh and art, as well as a theological question at the end of the show. So we got a lot still to go. Stick around for more Live Till 5 after this short break. back with a little more live till five it's 338 friday afternoon october 28th uh here at khmg harvest family radio joined in studio by two of my friends they usually i i rarely see them not wearing orange the uh one she was wearing orange even before she got involved in harvest house i think it's her favorite color because she's from clemson but uh they both help us with harvest house i'm gonna have them introduce themselves 
And uh, tell us uh, where you're originally from, because I think when people hear your voices, they might be like, I don't think they're from here, but I'm not sure where they're from. So let's start with you, Chrissy. All right. I'm Christy Keniston. I'm from North Carolina. I've been in Guam uh, about two years. Excellent. And I'm Lana Nutt. I have been in Guam for one year. I am originally from Dillon, South Carolina. All right. Great. And uh, you guys are both involved uh, in Harvest House uh, on a lot of different levels. Um what attracted you to volunteering and getting involved with Harvest House, Chrissy? Um, well, I was uh, had just started coming to church really last year on Orphan Sunday, which is coming up in a couple weeks yeah. again for yep. us. And I learned so much about um, the foster care system on Guam and how much of a huge need there is for a support system for these foster families. And the Lord just struck my heart and said, that is what you need to be giving your time doing. And I immediately contacted Bethany Taylor and wanted to get involved and I haven't looked back since. Awesome. Awesome. And Lana, how'd you get how'd you get plugged into Harvest House? I have a similar story. Our first Sunday here was Orphan Sunday again coming up in a couple really? of weeks. Absolutely. Wow. And and my husband and I had already had the tugging on our hearts that we wanted to get involved in a need of ch- serving children um, in our lives. So uh, the fact that we came in on Orphan Sunday and God tugged at our hearts a little bit more, I also contacted Bethany. And again, I haven't looked back. That's awesome. Um, and for people that want to know a little bit more about Harvest House, we're not going to go into all the details of Harvest House today because we want to really focus on this big event. But you can find out more. Harvest House has a Facebook page. And uh, you can just look up Harvest House Guam and you can find us on Facebook. We have a lot of data there, some videos, ways to contact us and things. The big event we're having for Harvest House to benefit the foster care community by doing some this activity slash fundraiser tomorrow is our our fair. What what kind of fair is it? What, what can people expect if they come to this tomorrow? Um, well, this is our Harvest House Holiday Fair, our very first. It's from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. tomorrow in the Harvest Family Life Center. And the big point of the fair is we have almost 40 local vendors coming to sell their products, um, everything from Cincy and Usborne vendors to local artists who make jewelry or Christmas ornaments, crocheted items, even toys. There will be a huge variety of local items for you to basically come get all your holiday shopping done in one spot. Awesome. I remember when I was in the active duty Air Force, we used to have an officer's wives bazaar on base. This is like back in the early 90s. Is this kind of a similar similar event to that? It's very similar. We are a nonprofit organization. Um, Harvest House is. And so just like that nonprofit organization, we are also having all these proceeds go to our organization, which will uh, in turn turn straight around and go directly to our foster kids on Guam. Awesome. And uh, since I'm involved with Harvest House also, I can uh, speak to the fact that all the money raised goes to the foster care uh, ministry. It doesn't go towards overhead or power bills even. We don't buy gas with it. It literally goes into um, either the program that supports the foster families, whether it's the children, the foster parents, or the foster care um, community like CPS and things like that, 
or it goes to our resource center, which we're just kind of on the verge of completing now, our little temporary building facility we have over here that uh, is kind of the, the new headquarters for Harvest House. So, um, so tomorrow, people uh, come. There is a small entry fee, $5 uh, per person. Is there an age limit on that? Uh, children 10 and under are free. Okay, great. And then are there things for kids to do tomorrow when they come with, with mom or auntie? Um, absolutely. They, they, we have activity cards. Um, they are $10 a piece. Um, again, all those proceeds are going to Harvest House. Uh, with these $10 activity cards, you can choose to do different activities like uh, bounce house or face painting. We have some balloon animals. We have fall crafts. We have Christmas crafts. Uh, we even have the Carabao ride coming, uh, the guy coming to do the Carabao rides from 1 to 3. Okay, so it, there's actually kind of the carnival feel for the kids and then uh, the shopping for the adults. And uh, you can get, like you said, your holiday shopping done. I guess I keep implying that it's ladies because I'm talking to two ladies right now. But <laughs> dudes could come too. I mean, matter of fact, it would be a great date day. You bring, bring someone along and you can get uh, all those uh, small gifts purchased tomorrow. I know some of the artisans that are providing their work, and I know they're very talented. So I'm pretty excited to see what's, what's provided tomorrow. Um, so what's been uh, the response overall in the community? Uh, it sounds like you have a lot of vendors coming. When you put the word out about this, uh, did you have a, a pretty good initial response? We did. It seems uh, it's grown faster than we expected. We, <laughs> we really did not um, imagine that we would get this many people wanting to participate. And then over the last couple of weeks, we've had lots of people contact us on where are we located, the times, the particulars. I think we have a a big amount of the community wanting to come and see what we're up to and help out a good cause while they get to do something fun. Right. And do you have some uh, volunteers involved? I mean, I'm, that's kind of a softball question, but I know you've got a number of different people helping uh, high school students, church volunteers, people like that. Yeah, many of our Harvest Christian Academy students have also volunteered their time to come up here and help many of the different clubs. We have the Red Cross Club and the S Club. They are all coming um, we also have some people in the community. Um, some of the military guys are also coming out and helping, and numerous other uh, people who have reached out to us wanting to um, help and support us. Great, great. And uh, this is all preceding. We have our Orphan Sunday coming up in, I think, about two to three weeks here at Harvest Baptist Church, but I know a number of churches on Guam will also be having an Orphan Sunday where they get to kind of highlight the need of uh, caring for the fatherless and the widows on Guam. And uh, we were just talking, doing a little planning today for that service, but it's going to be really neat. And uh, again, why don't you give us the, the rundown again on what the event is, when, where, how much, so that people that are just tuning in are getting that. Okay, it is our Harvest House Holiday Fair from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. tomorrow, Saturday, October 29th, at the Harvest Family Life Center here at Harvest Baptist Church. It's $5 to get in, but children 10 and under are free, and it's cash only, um, and all these proceeds are going to Harvest House to help foster families on Guam directly. All right, and cash only, that's a good good point, because uh, people come prepared to buy. They need to come, kind of like going to a rummage sale or a yard sale or a lot of the other um, uh, handicraft places here on Guam that's cash only, so that'll be great. Just come to the Harvest Family Life Center uh, AKA the gym here at Harvest Christian Academy. It will be full of vendors. It'll be totally worth your while. And uh, if you don't believe us, this is, this is what I would encourage people to do. Bring a whole carload of people, send in one person by their, by their admission 
they can scope it out, come out, get everyone else out of the car. Everyone else come get a ticket and come in and then buy all your Christmas stuff. That would be great. So uh, excited to see. And, again, give us some of the types of vendors that are going to be there. Well, we have Cincy, we have Usborne, uh, many people doing artwork. We have some crafts uh, that people have handcrafted, some jewelry making. Um, we have crocheted items, pe- items, peg dolls, uh, caricatures, uh, numerous things that people are just so talented and using their talents to serve God. Yeah, awesome. And people are going to be hanging out here. They might get hungry. Tell us about the food. Uh Yes, we have, uh, King's has provided the food for us, and so we are going to be serving um, their Fiesta plate, and we also are going to have some hot dogs for the kids. Awesome. Great. Well, ladies, thanks for coming up on a Friday afternoon. I know you're probably busy trying to get it set up. (laughs) Uh, This is uh, no small feat. So uh, for all of our listeners, you can see uh, Chrissy and Lana tomorrow, among other people. They'll all be wearing orange, I'm sure. So uh, be looking for our volunteers tomorrow and come by and say hi to them and uh, all of us here at Harvest. So I'll make sure I plug this uh, multiple times throughout the rest of the show. So thanks for coming by, ladies. Thanks Thank so you. much. All right, great. That's the Harvest House uh, Holiday Craft Fair coming up tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. here at Harvest Christian Academy's Family Life Center. $5 entry fee. You can buy a Fiesta plate. You can shop. The kids can get a little punch card and do all kinds of activities. It'll be a ton of fun. Make sure you come out rain or shine. Most of the event is inside except for the Carabao ride, of course. Uh, And uh, they'll be able to have just a great time. Come on out and support the foster care community here on Guam through supporting Harvest House at this event. And uh, I'm your host, Jared Baldwin, here at Live Till 5. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, this day in history, what's in my coffee? Stranger than fiction. The news and our topic of the day, Van Gogh and art. So stick around more Live Till 5 after this short break. We're back with a little more Live Till 5. We have about eight minutes left in this hour here on Live Till 5. KHMG, Harvest Family Radio, 88.1 FM, broadcasting high atop the campus of Harvest Ministries from the worldwide headquarters of Harvest Family Radio. Been around over 20 years doing what we do here, broadcasting beautiful Christian music 24 hours a day, seven days a week, biblical programming, good preaching, teaching, News with the Christian worldview, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's really a lot of fun to be with you guys on Friday afternoons from 3 to 5. It's the fastest two hours of my week because it just it just flies by, literally just flies by. Appreciate it. Uh, Lana and Chrissy coming up, talking a little bit about the Harvest House Holiday Craft Fair. Now, that is a mouthful, I'm telling you. And uh, try and say that with a, with, with a bite of pumpkin bread in your mouth is double hard and we're going to be doing that here in just a moment but wanted to plug that again 10 to 5 on saturday right here at uh, harvest christian academy's campus uh, at the family life center and uh, it'll be a great time five dollar entry fee if you're 11 and up so now we're rearranging the schedule just a little bit and giving some time for some of our regular guests to uh, make it up here and I have chris harper the all-around good guy and station manager here at Harvest Family Radio, here with the news. 
Let's take a look first at some news from around the island. In an effort to curb the steep decline in the number of Chamorro speakers on the island, the Guam Education Board on Tuesday night approved the draft Chamorro Immersion Program Master Plan, this by a 7-0 to vote. The program has the potential to create an emerging generation of Chamorro language speakers, Through this immersion program, all participants in this program would be taught their subjects, communicating only in the Chamorro language. This approval allows the Guam Department of Education's Chamorro Studies and Special Projects Division to move forward in implementing this master plan. Estimates say that the number of Chamorro speakers on the island has decreased by 10,000 since 1990. English and Chamorro are the official languages on Guam. The Public Utilities Commission has given approval to the Guam Power Authority to build new power plants. Rates are not expected to increase because of the project. The plan had been to add 120 megawatts of baseload capacity. But after those explosions and the fire that destroyed the 80-megawatt Cobras 3 and 4 generators, a change had to be made, and the new plan is to add a full 180 megawatts. The 180 megawatts will come in the form of combined cycle power plants, the current industry standard that is more efficient than the current GPA generators. Just a, a quick note of international news that uh, seems like we're mentioning every week, but uh, it's um, a little bit of new information. And that is that Japan, the United States, and South Korea have agreed on Thursday to work together to put more pressure on North Korea to get it to abandon its nuclear and missile programs. Tension on the North Korean peninsula, or on the Korean peninsula, I should say, has been high this year, as we've noted a number of times here, beginning with North Korea's fourth nuclear test in January, which was followed by a satellite launch, a string of other tests, uh, various missiles, and then its fifth and largest nuclear test last month, which we talked about last week, all in defiance of international sanctions. Now, the Japanese government has decided to resume talks for the conclusion of the General Security of Military Information Agreement. I guess this is called GSOMIA. It's a pact that would share sensitive information on North Korea's missile and nuclear activities. So it's a way of uh, finding out, sharing among world powers um, some of the inside information about North Korea's uh, nuclear and missile activities. The signing of the agreement was expected in 2012, Uh, They haven't been having talks since 2008, but South Korea postponed it amid domestic opposition against concluding such a security pact with Japan, a one-time colonial ruler. Hmm. I wonder if that's why the uh, F-16 fighter jets are coming to Guam. They've been kind of, they, they made a big announcement about it, but they've been a little cryptic on the purpose you know, all these, the whole a whole wing of fighter jets, I guess, wow. coming out to Guam for an indefinite period of time. They made a big announcement, which means they want everyone to know, but they're not necessarily saying why, which is kind of conspicuous. Right. So, yeah, North Korea, boy, they have, 
They are a, a thorn in the side of the uh, Pacific Rim, I think. But it's, it's one of those news stories that doesn't get covered on our top of the hour news a lot of the time. Right. But that has, uh, but that SRN News covers every week. And uh, so I usually select it here because I usually don't hear the latest uh, on that on our regular newscasts. So. Right, right. Here on Guam, they show up in the news a little more. We have a large Korean community. We have, um, uh, of course, we've been mentioned by name yeah. by the despot ruler of North Korea. Uh, and so that, that you know, gave us uh, room to pause a little bit. And then they brought out a missile defense system to Guam ever since that. And so, you know, just the, the, the threat, I don't know how imminent it is with their capability, but uh, it's definitely something to keep an eye on. Well, it's, I, I mentioned last week that these missiles that they test are supposed to be able to go 1,800 miles, and a successful test for them was only 250 miles. Right. Most of the others blow up at, you know, soon right. after launch. Right. So you're depending, in a way, you're depending on the incompetence, perhaps, yeah. or the, the ineptitude of the North Korean leadership, um, which... There's evidence to believe that that's the case, but of the leadership in in some way. But uh, sometimes that's a dangerous bet. Well, maybe the uh, North Korean rocket scientists, if you're smart enough to be a rocket scientist, you're smart enough to know that it would not be a good thing for that missile to reach American soil. Yeah, Yeah. So maybe they are being sabotaged from the inside. Never know. Wow. We might know some history will tell the story eventually, but it might not be in our lifetime. Hopefully they just keep being duds. Dud after dud. So anyway, hey, thanks a lot, Chris, for the news. Yep. And uh, we're going to take a break for the news, and while we're breaking for the news, we're going to get some pumpkin bread, some hot tea. We're gonna have our little, you know, what's in my coffee prep time while you guys take a short break and come back for the second hour. Of Live Till 5 after the SRN News. You're listening to us here on 88.1 FM, KHMG, Harvest Family Radio, Barragata Guam. Stick around for SRN News. Back with a little more live till five. I'm your host, Jared Baldwin. Glad that you're with us. 4.04 p.m. on Friday afternoon, October 28th. And as we uh, start this hour of the show, just want to remind you that tomorrow is the Harvest House Holiday Craft Fair. That is a tongue twister. And uh, it's a fundraiser for the foster care community. A lot of different projects that we do through the Harvest House Ministry and all the money all the proceeds go to our foster care ministry and not even to like utility bills and you know gas money it actually goes to the actual program itself whether that's uh, donations to the foster families whether that's our resource center which we're trying to finish uh, it's almost completed now or a number of other things like that administrative things that we do to help the foster families training classes 
uh, supplies, things like that. So uh, come and support Harvest House tomorrow at the Harvest House Holiday Craft Fair. It's going to be a very huge event. 40 different vendors, local vendors, all kinds of stuff for sale. And uh, it'll be neat. You can get your Christmas shopping out of the way early. And, uh, yeah, I know it's hard to think about the holidays, but it is upon us. And uh, another thing, if you ever miss part of the show, you can always tune in online, khmg.org. You can listen to our podcasts. You can listen in real time through our stream right there on khmg.org as well. So a lot of different ways to tune in that way. Or you can just listen on the old-fashioned radio dial, 88.1 FM, as you're driving around in your vehicle. It is Friday afternoon if you're listening live, but maybe you're catching us on Saturday or Sunday. We do rebroadcast the show, all two hours of it, in its entirety, Saturdays noon to 2, Sunday night, 7 to 9 p.m. Catch us on the rebound as uh, as we try to celebrate the fun of live radio, even in the rebroadcast, which is a little bit of a oxymoron. But anyway, hey, you know what it's time for? One of our best segments, long-lasting. We've been getting free drinks from Hebrews for 189 episodes. It's a great thing to celebrate. Hebrews sponsors this segment, the best little coffee shop on Guam, offering an endless variety of coffees, teas, baked goods, Christian books, music, gifts, and some Yankee candles as well. And uh, I like it a lot. I go there every day. I really do. I get a hot Americano. I try and stay away from the muffins, not because they're not good. It's because they're too good. And uh, you are what you eat. And I start eating those muffin tops, and before you know it, I just become one. Yeah. And then we could say, listen here, muffin. That's right. And then you don't want that. No, 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 no. Definitely not. I don't want to be anyone's muffin. Um, So uh, our faithful baristas down there, even though it's closed this afternoon, they made us some, they made us like this kind of survival kit. They brought up this this, uh, afternoon survival kit for us for a rainy day. They brought us two carafts of hot water. Um, and it, you, the nice thing is one of the pots was already seasoned, ready for uh, uh, to receive the tea bags. They had some extra particles in there. It's really good. Um, and we all got our own tea. So we already know what we have as far as drinks go. I'm drinking a delightful Marrakesh mint, and it really is great. Marrakesh mint doesn't even need sweetener. It's just got it's, – it's minty, but it's not too minty, and it has a hint of sweetness. I don't even know how they do that with just – tea leaves. Chris, what kind of tea are you drinking? They work miracles in Marrakesh, I think they say. Yes, it's, yeah, it's, they do. Them, yeah, sure. Uh, orange what Humphrey Bogart said. <laughs> orange Dolce. I'm having Orange Dolce tea, nice. and I've never had that before, and it's pretty good. Yeah, it yeah, is. It's, it's really good, yeah. Um, it, it's got a... Uh, I thought it would be a little tangier than this, but mm-hmm. it's actually quite mild. It's yeah. not it's not nearly as tangy as It's not I like that lemon lemon zinger type uh, tea no. you drink when you're cold. No, cuz okay, I don't yeah. always li- I don't always like that. Uh, so so yeah, no, it's ve- it's very mild but but tasty as okay. well. Okay. All right, mild yeah. but tasty. Speaking of mild but tasty, Lawrence Nangas is here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what kind of tea are you drinking there, Lawrence? Sorry. <laughs> I don't get called that very often. <laughs> um, hopefully never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, never. Uh, I have an African um, uh, nectar is, is what it was yeah, called. Yeah. And um, and really really t- tasty, citrusy, uh, but not too um, tangy. Mm-hmm. Um, just yep. just really delightful yeah. this afternoon. Yeah. It's the these mighty leaf uh, teas 
which are really good, good quality tea leaves, and um, mm-hmm. you steep it for just the right amount of time. It's good. So they also gave us some pumpkin bread, which uh, is almost gone here for me. You guys are, are well into your uh, slices of pumpkin bread, homemade here at the Harvest Cafeteria. So if you live at Harvest, that's your home for homemade. But what we do have, so there's no guesswork in that. I told them what we'd like to play today is what's in my candle. It is fall candle time. And um, we'd like to put in a shameless plug for, you know, everything fall being sold at the Hub. And one of the things they've covered up the label for us is the the fall Yankee Candle collection. And as I just kind of get a waft, do you have a of match? this candle or what? Are, no, you gonna, just no because oh, you'd hate it because we wouldn't be able to sell it later. Oh, you just take a whiff. Just put your nose you can in smell it. the you can oh, smell it just coming off of the wax. <laughs> it is. Uh, Actually, you should ask them for the live till five candle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. See what I'm saying? They should set it aside. And yes. The first one that comes. Yeah. To get it. They like, they used to have all these mandals. It was like uh, riding lawnmower, uh, Sunday cave, football, man cave, remote control, uh, bacon. The bacon <laughs> one was the worst, best idea I've ever seen. It's yeah. like it's good for like a gift to a guy that. You don't know what to get him, so just get him a baking candle. He's going to hate like, it. Well, that would be good for Sebastian. Funny. There's yeah, a actually. certain room in the house. It uh, it fits well. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it really works to disguise a lot of different things. Mm, okay. Well, this okay. one here is a fall scent. I'm going to pass this around, and, and uh, each of you can kind of try and help describe this. It definitely has a cinnamon, cinnamony smell, and uh, maybe maybe just kind of a... I don't know. Maybe maybe like an apple pie or something. Maybe it is red. I'm getting, yeah. I'm I'm definitely getting like the the Christmas time, fall time, uh, feeling from this. Mm. Yeah, if we stayed in here and it and started snowing outside, it'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't want that. Let's not go that far. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what is in that though. I don't. Oh man, I'm terrible at these games. I'm not sure what's in there. It's got it's got a spice smell to it of some sort. Yeah, you know, Chris, this is a game of feelings and not a game of intellect, and that's why because you don't live by your feelings. <laughs> you can say that again, <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence. You're 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 getting a good whiff of that. Oh, what yeah. what does it smell like to you? Yeah, um, definite spice. Oh, that was kind of a weird. Um, yeah. The echo sound. Um, yeah, it was. Um, it's definitely spicy. It's almost like a hot apple cider uh, type yeah. thing. I would keep with the apple theme if I. Mm. If, um, so spice and apples. Well. Let's see what the uh, label says here. It is a kitchen spice candle. Oh, kitchen see, spice. I think we all said spice at one point yeah. or another. Yeah, and it doesn't actually give ingredients, so I'm not quite sure. But it definitely. It maybe a maybe a clove. Smell yeah. now that I yeah. think about it, maybe yeah. a hint of clove, which yeah. is is in some really good wassels and hot apple cider. True, really good. I would I would get this one. Kitchen spice, it's yeah, good. Kitchen spice, especially yeah. I think burning it at home. Maybe not in the office. You'd just be walking around wanting the munchies all the time. But uh, yeah, they have some they have some fall candles there, but they also have these great fall drinks like the pumpkin latte, the pumpkin chai, the hot apple cider, which we went on and on about last week. And thank you to whoever listened to our advice. And went in and got one, said, I have to have what they're drinking. Right. And hopefully you were as impressed as we were. I went down and thanked them for that. That was a creative, that was a stroke of creative genius, honestly. Um, the uh, apple cider. And then, of course, the pumpkin bread from Perisco. So it's not homemade in our home. 
it's from the bakery, Parisco Bakery, who make all the different scones and uh, delectable yeah. treats down there. So, now Lawrence, we missed you the last couple of weeks. Oh, good. And big shoes to fill. <laughs> okay, um, glad to be missed. So, uh, give us a little this day in history. Today is uh, October twenty eighth. Sure. Last what Friday happened this day in history? Okay. Yeah, yeah we're going to run down a number of things. Actually, uh, looking through my list. Uh, there was there was just a lot of things that I want to bring to note, so we're going to go all the way back uh, to 306, Maxentius, proclaimed emperor of Rome. So those of you Roman historians that know who that is, that's for you. Uh, then we'll move forward to 1492, Christopher Columbus discovers Cuba and claims it for Spain, of course. Uh, poor Christopher couldn't find a country to support his endeavors. For quite some time, finally found Spain to do it. Uh, uh, Ferdinand and Isabella uh, sponsored him, so he claims it for Spain, and now Cuba been a Spanish-speaking country for many, many years uh, because of that. Uh, I thought this was a, an interesting note. 1612, Robert Dowland is appointed court lutist of King James I. Wow. So, yes, that's the same King James that had the Bible um, sponsored the edit edition of the King James Version in 1611. A year later, he got Robert Dowland to be his court lutist. That's a good gig if you can get it. Yeah. Court lutist. Yeah, uh, lutist. Like, like playing Sorry. the loot. Yeah, yeah, one who plays Not the someone loot. that loots places. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was originally thinking, like it was a pirate no. or something. No, yeah, it's, loot. A, it's I'm one a who plays lutist. the loot. Yeah. <laughs> 1726, <laughs> Gulliver's Travel by Jonathan Swift is published by Benjamin Mott. In London, so a good set of stories there uh, by old Jonathan Swift. Battle of White Plains, George Washington retreats to New Jersey uh, in 1776. This is the area that he will be in for that Christmas in the very famous Crossing the Delaware, and there's a painting of him on the, the helm of the boat um, and, and riding across the snowy, icy river. Uh, again, very, very famous painting there during this time. Nin uh, 1793, Eli Whitney applies for a patent on cotton, cotton gin. gin. And the one thing I don't know if I've ever paid attention is how early this was in, in uh, to the Civil War. I mean, this was out a good 70 years before the Civil War happened. Um, but uh, that that invention was one of the, the greatest um, additions to, to the speeding up the process of, of that entire um, uh, industry. The cotton industry was the cotton gin. Um, 1886, Statue of Liberty, dedicated by U.S. President Grover Cleveland, celebrated by the first confetti or ticker tape parade in New York City. Uh, ticker tape, that's what it was kind of called until, I don't know, mid-1900s when confetti became the new word. But ticker tape parades were what they had when they came home from the World Wars. And, you still call and, it that, uh, though, don't you? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't ever hear it a whole lot like I did back then in history. But It's because the, the old... Teletype machines use little pieces of yeah. It's like a little right. strip of tape, and so when they were done with that, they had miles and miles of this paper. They would just it's, chop it up. It's particularly if a New York team mm. wins a mm. okay, wins a they're called that. In they New call York. it so that in New York. Relation. It's sort of a. It okay. seems like more of a New York or at least yeah. East Coast yeah, I think tradition. It comes like a Wall Street type thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes a little bit of a little bit of sense yeah. there. It's, it's more like of a streamers, New York, a localized it's recycling. Thing. Yeah. 1919, Volstead Act passed by U.S. Congress establishing prohibition despite President Woodrow Wilson's veto. Uh, very interesting time in the American history, uh, a time where basically it was a dry country, if you will, um, on the outside. But, of course, um, when there's a will, there's a way. Plenty of um, 
speakeasies and things like that. That whole great um, Roaring Twenties era was, temperance was movement kind of, and all yeah, that was yeah, in vogue. Yeah, yeah very interesting uh, time period for America. Um, moving on here, we have FDR rededicates the Statue of Liberty on its fiftieth anniversary. Makes sense because today, okay. Um, both on this day, of course. Uh, meeting between Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini in Florence uh, in 1940. So oh. war had already began, and this is sort of when Italy jumped on and, and tried to be of a help and ended up being more of a crutch uh, or, or a ball and chain, if you will, to, to Germany and Hitler. Uh, they were just never really a helping hand in any of that. Il Duce, isn't Il that Duce, what they called? Yeah, called? De Fuhr and Il Duce were the two titles for the yeah. two of those men. Uh, Nobel Prize for Literature is awarded to Ernest Hemingway uh, in 1954. And then um, Cuban Missile Crisis. U.S. President JFK receives a letter from Soviet leader uh, Khrushchev in uh, suggesting agreement. And this was in 1962. It'll be, um, I believe, in less than a month. Is it 62 or 63 that he was assassinated? Kennedy, that is. Hmm. I can't remember. It had to be 63. Yeah. I think it was the next year. I think this is still a year before yeah. it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, what a uh, a difficult three years he had with that Cuban Missile Crisis. But worked the uh, worked the country through that time for sure. Um, and last couple things here. This being the World Series time period, time of year. Uh, a year ago, uh, or two years ago, Kansas City Royals. <laughs> defeat the San Francisco Giants 10 to nothing in the sixth game to tie the 2004 World Series, 14 World Series. Giants ended up going on and winning, yes. which was a sad day for the Kansas City Royals. However, Big one year ago today, longest ever first game of baseball World Series, five hours and nine minutes. Yeah. The Kansas City Royals defeat New York Mets 5-4, to four, also joint uh, longest by innings as well. Yeah. They would go on and eventually get the W there. I had to the stop Series. watching because it was so yeah. long. We yeah. just had to keep watching the play-by-play play on the computer because it couldn't take any longer off work. Well, yeah, you were, you were. I was going to say it worked out for you because that was just into your afternoon, right? Exactly. People so we went home to watch it lunch, the, in the, the middle innings, and then it got to the late innings, and then I stayed a little longer, and then finally I just came up to work. And I was in meetings all afternoon, and my wife was watching it pop up on her screen. Yeah. And finally, she texted me, like yeah. a couple hours later, basically. So. Yeah, yeah, a couple of good games so far. Very lopsided games. Um, it really, the pitchers who won for their side, uh, pretty much pitched oh, yeah. lights out two thirds of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, a pretty incredible uh, display of, of pitching yep. by um, uh, Kluber and then uh, Arietta and. And the, for the Cubs. Yep. And then we sold some of our best players, or they left. Yeah, you know, Zobrist, is at, Zobrist the, is at the Cubs. The Cubs he was right now. with you so, guys last year, was he not? Yeah, and it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. I hope, he, I hope he wins yeah. the whole thing. Everyone loves I him. I don't really – I mean, I'm a Detroit fan, but honestly, whoever wins is a massive, a yeah. massive victory for that city. Right. And part of me is like, I don't want one city to have it all in one year. Right. And, and everybody was going on about Cleveland – having the ring ceremony and banner raising right. across the street an hour before started the game one. But at the same time, if it had to happen to a city, Cleveland, I'd be okay. Yeah, Former radio station manager John Collier is probably oh, yeah. tingling is, from you is, saying that right now. He's barely sleeping. Because he was basically uh, in a in a small state of depression for about... Uh, <laughs> 40 years. Yeah, yeah. Basically <laughs> his whole life till right now. And, and yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Again, I'm not a, a fan of either team. 
individually, but as far as two baseball clubs that had to make it, and obviously one will win, it's about time for both of them. Yeah. It's a shame, uh, and again, in no way sports is ever fair. So it's one's going to win, and one yep. will be searching again. Yeah. Yep. So, well, um, you mentioned Cuba and JFK and uh, uh, Nik- Nikolai Khrushchev earlier. Yep. And I heard a story yesterday and did some fact-checking. This story is totally true. This is a good history story for awesome. you. Love them. And then, uh, then we'll take a short break. But And, Chris, maybe you've heard of this before. You guys, are, have you ever seen the show? Lawrence is a little before your time, the show Candid Camera. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've seen clips. So they have, you know, they it was basically a continuous, like, weekly show on TV till like, the mid-'60s. And then it became, like, a seasonal show. They just have one on every once in a while. Alan Funt. Yeah. Produced it. He was the ultimate candid camera guy, and it, I mean, they—I believe they still every once in a while have a candid camera type thing. And then there are all these shows that imitate it all around the world. You can watch British candid camera shows, mm-hmm. European stuff. Sure. So, well, um, Alan Funt, of course, he was—he would appear in every episode, and a lot of times he was the undercover guy, you know, trying to sell whatever it was. And uh, he was on a plane to Miami in 1969 with his wife, and I believe they had two children under the age of three or four. And uh, they were sitting up in first class, and um, they heard a commotion in the back of the plane, and they looked and they saw a man with a uh, flight attendant. He had his arm around her neck, and he had a knife up to her throat, Mm. walk right past him in first class, knock on the cabin door of the pilot's. And the pilots open it up expecting to get dinner. And then the man steps in with the flight attendant with a knife up to her throat and says, I want to go to Cuba. And he doesn't speak any English other than I want to go to Cuba. So um, what happened was uh, the pilot comes over the air and says to the passengers, "Uh, folks, we have someone here in the cockpit that wants to go to Cuba. So I need to announce we're headed to Havana. Well, now... Uh, four or five people in the flight up in first class recognized Alan Funt as the candid camera guy. And so you started to hear whispers. First, everyone was shocked. Then there were all these whispers and then all these giggles. And then when the pilot said, we're going to Havana, instead of everyone being, everyone started cheering and clapping and laughing. They thought they were all on an episode of Candid Camera. And so they started coming, they lined up in the aisle with their uh, barf bags to get Alan Funt's signature, oh. thinking they were on the ultimate episode of Candid Camera. Oh my goodness. And he's like, it's, I'm telling you, this isn't true. This isn't true. He walked down the aisle. There was a Catholic priest sitting way in the back. Walks up to the priest. He said, Father, you got to help me. This is not a joke. This is not an episode of Candid Camera. There is really a hijacking. And the father said, son, you can't fool me. (laughs) And Alan Funt had to sit down, and everyone thought it was an episode of Candid Camera. And finally, the plane lands in Havana, and the plane is now surrounded by armed military. And the people thought they had landed in Miami. They thought it was still a joke until the armed military came in, and all of a sudden it dawned on everyone, this is not a joke. So then it turned to everyone being angry at Alan Funt, and he got cursed out by many a passenger. Wow. (laughs) And um, as if it was his fault. And so I actually heard him and his wife and his daughter's rendition of the story. I actually heard them tell it in an interview, and then I looked it up. 
But uh, yeah, the Cuban Missile Crisis and all that going on around that time, and then uh, a couple years later, actually. But then the the uh, whole Bay of Pigs and um, uh, uh, JFK and Khrushchev and this 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 positioning of nuclear weapons uh, near the American South. It's like, and then in the middle of that is this humorous story that could have ended so much worse. Oh yeah, uh, of they thought it was an episode of Candid Camera, but it wasn't. You know, I have something that was like that one time. Really? Is that I used to work on a riverboat in Alaska called the Riverboat Discovery. Were you like a blackjack dealer? Oh, no, okay. They don't have gambling in Alaska. Missouri, we have it on Riverboat. See you later, Lawrence. Have a great weekend. Got a basketball game. Uh, But what, what the riverboat does is it goes down the river, and there's things that happen on the on the banks of the river that show you about the culture of Alaska. One of them is there's sled dogs, there's uh, fish cleaning, uh, salmon cleaning exercise, all this whole deal. Anyway, one of them is that a small aircraft, a Piper Cub, takes off on a grass runway on the shore. And um, John Binkley, who was flying the plane, he owns the riverboat company, is one of the owners. He was flying the plane. And he took it off too steep. And for us who were on the crew, I was running the cameras um, for the crew. For us who were on the crew, we could tell immediately that he had taken off too steep. And the the plane coughed, coughed, coughed. Stalled. Yep. Stalled. Went straight back down, nose first. He tried to pull up. Crashed. The uh, There was a ground loop. His, uh, hit, the propeller hit the ground. He flipped the plane over. And when that happened, keep in mind, they're all the all the audiences on this riverboat and they've seen the show, so to speak, of the rest of it. When I'm running the camera and when that plane hit the ground, crashed and flipped over, instead of everyone being horrified, they cheered and clapped their hands. They thought it was like a stunt show or something. They thought it was a stunt. Wow. They cheered. Wow. Anyway, so what happened next was his son, who is on the third deck of the boat. This boat is 30 feet high. Third deck of the boat jumped off of the third deck of the boat into the water, swam to the bank to try to see if he could help. Right, right. John was okay, was not injured. Wow. But the crash and then the cheer, it was amazing. We were all horrified at the cheer. Oh, But boy. somehow people thought it was all part of the show. Wow. I guess it only takes one or two people leading the cheer, and then now yeah. everyone's like, "Oh, well, they must know something we don't know." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's fan. It's like pressure. It's uh, wow. peer pressure. Wow, peer that pressure. is just that is just like the Alan Fun story. Well, that is crazy, crazy, crazy. Well, yeah. that 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 kind of helps me fill in for my stranger than fiction section today because <laughs> those stories are stranger than fiction. Absolutely true. But stranger than fiction. So, well, Chris, thanks for uh, giving us the news and that story and hanging around. And um, listeners, thanks for hanging around as well. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, our topic of the day, Vincent Van Gogh. And at the end, a spiritual question for you to consider. So stick around. More Live Till 5 after this. And we're back with a little more Live Till 5. It's 4.31 p.m. on Friday, October 28th, if you're listening live. 
You might be catching us on Saturday from noon to 2 or Sunday night, 7 to 9 p.m., catching us on the rebound as we do indeed rebroadcast the show in its entirety, all two hours of it. This is episode 189 on this uh, rainy Friday afternoon. It's a little rainy, a little almost foggy outside, 79 degrees, 40% humidity, zero wind right now. Kind of unusual Friday afternoon, nice and cool and calm. And we're collected. There you go. Topic of the day, Van Gogh, because that's the name of the little fish in the bowl swimming around next to my coffee maker in my office. Van Gogh. I already went on my little rant about uh, my lack of affection for fish in bowls. But Van Gogh is interesting, the name. I started thinking about Vincent Van Gogh, did a little research. And that conversation S with SR, the person who uh, brought up this topic, did arrest my attention. Let me read you a little uh, short excerpt about Van Gogh. You know, if you know anything about Van Gogh, uh, he, he is thought to have committed suicide. By shooting himself, he didn't die from the wound. Immediately it took him two days to pass away. But uh, according to The Independent from the UK, the article entitled, this is from a couple years ago, Did Vincent van Gogh Commit Suicide or Was the Dutch Painter Killed by an Acquaintance? The long and short of it is everyone has always assumed that van Gogh shot himself in the wheat field. But some people, this, this recent story came out that uh, that fairly recent story that a 16 year old boy might have shot him instead someone that was known to the Dutch painter at the age of 37 uh, these two uh, historians Stephen Nafe and Gregory White Smith made the shock made the shock claim that he had been shot possibly accidentally by a 16 year old schoolboy. The Pulitzer Prize-winning authors made the claim that Van Gogh, The Life, a 960-page biography released in October 2011, that at the time of the publication, Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam said the theory was dramatic and intriguing, but added that plenty of questions remain unanswered. Two research experts from the museum were set out on the trail to explore the claims. However, they have, uh, they have no not published their findings. And the, the basically, they're... The shocking theory that this was manslaughter or even murder, they believe that it probably doesn't add up. Now, this is a couple-year-old article, so I don't know if anything's come out since then, but in an article in the Burlington Magazine, Louis Van Tilborg and Theo Menendorp said the train of events suggesting suicide is eminently defensible, both psychologically and historically, they pointed to the nature of the bullet wounds, relations with his brother Theo, as well as a letter found in his pocket, which the biography failed to cover, as helped to prove his suicide. They also added that it was plausible Van Gogh wanted to commit suicide, which the biographers dispute. And basically, they go on to kind of argue back and forth, did Van Gogh kill himself, or was he killed by someone else? They pointed to Gaston and Secretan, students in Paris Lycée, as responsible, Rene was interviewed in 1957 about the artist and revealed that he owned a pistol that Van Gogh may have taken. The authors of the recent article said the interview, which the biography relied on heavily, did not substantiate the claims in the slightest. 
The experts from the Van Gogh Museum said, quote, truly nothing substantiates their argument for the train of events they construe, apart from the 20th century rumor arising from an authentic story of a trigger-happy brat in 1890 who merely claimed that Van Gogh probably stole the gun from him, and we do not doubt that for a moment. End quote. So, it's still out there, but uh, not likely, I guess you could say. Not, not, not enough evidence to really... It doesn't have legs. I think 60 Minutes even did a whole thing about that, and uh, everyone's pretty skeptical. But it sold a lot of books. Now, when you think of Vincent Van Gogh, you might think of some of his paintings. You might have one in mind if you're a little bit of a... You don't even have to be an art buff. You just have to know a little bit about art, and you could probably think of some of the Van Gogh paintings. Let me give you the 10 most famous. Almond Blossoms. In the year 1890, if you saw it, you'd know what I'm talking about. Wheatfield with Cypresses, 1889. Bedroom at Arles, or Arles, at 1888. The Potato Eaters, 1885. It's kind of a dark painting. Uh, Self-Portrait with Bandaged Ear, 1889. You know he cut his own ear pretty severely, almost cut it off. Cafe Terrace at Night. This is a beautiful painting. I've seen this one many times. 1888, the very famous. Portrait of Dr. Gachet, 1890. Irises, very famous painting, 1889. Sunflowers, probably the one that many people would think of as his second most famous painting in 1888, the Sunflowers. But the number one most famous painting by Vincent van Gogh in 1889, hands down for most people, would be Starry Night. You know how the stars are all like these swirling, almost like tidal, tidal wave swirls of light on a, on, in a night sky. So with his most famous paintings, it made me wonder, how much have some of his paintings sold for? Well, Cottage with Trees in 1885 sold for $960,000 in 2015. Baby Marcel Roulin sold for $7.7 million in 2015. Van Gogh's Landscape with Stormy Sky sold for $50 million in 2015. Les Alscamps in 1888 sold for $66.3 million in 2015. His drawing, Vincent's House at Ar- Arles, the Yellow House, sold for $5.4 million in 2013. The drawing uh, is, is one of Van Gogh's most famous it's the drawing for one of his most famous paintings. The portrait of Dr. Gachet sold for $82.5 million in 1990. If adjusted for inflation, this would be worth $149 million today, as of this article. A wheat field with cypresses, 1889, was sold for $57 million. Uh, Irises, the one of the most famous paintings, $53.9 million. That would be $112 million adjusted for inflation now. Portrait of Joseph Roulin sold for $58 million, but now would be adjusted up to $114 million. Vase with 15 sunflowers. I think there's more than one sunflower picture. $82.6 million with inflation today. That's a lot of money for some paintings. Which did make me think about um, how much have some things been appraised for. You ever watch the Antique Roadshow? We used to be able to pick up the public television channel with the rabbit ears on the old tv and uh i loved monday nights 7 p.m the antiques road show 
I just enjoyed it uh, watching it. Every once in a while, it put you to sleep, but uh, it did effectively put the children to sleep all the time, which was great. A rare Victorian brooch was uh, estimated there is a, a big one in 2011. I think it was the biggest for that year, uh, 18,500. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe Doggeriotype, uh, $50,000, kind of a, a photo, um, like a reverse photo of Edgar Allan Poe. An 18th century Prussian plate, $185,000 for a plate. It's not even like a ginormous plate. Seymour card table, $250,000. This looks like you know, you'd walk right past this in a furniture store. Navajo Chief's Blanket. Now, I had the privilege of actually watching this, I believe, when it happened in 2001, I believe was the, the episode. It was a blanket given by Kit Carson, famous uh, pioneer, to this, this uh, gentleman's grandfather or great-grandfather. And this blanket had been on the back of a couch for years. It estimated at the time for 350000 to 500000 Peanuts comic strips, 450000 These aren't just ones cut out of newspapers. These are like originals, I guess. Oil painting by Clifford Style, 500000 And Anthony Van Dyke painting, $673,000. Jade Bowles, $1.07 million. But the most prized appraised possession ever brought to the Antique Roadshow in America. Now, there are Antique Roadshows in the UK and other places. Rhino Horn Teacups, $1.5 million. Wow, that's a lot of money. How about the 10 most wanted missing and stolen paintings as uh, published in the Telegraph from the UK? This one disappeared in 1988. The reward is 300,000 German marks, the Lucian Freud's Francis Bacon. Or how about this one? Disappeared in 1990, Rembrandt's painting of Christ in the Storm on the Lake of Galilee, 3.2 million pounds uh, reward. Picasso's Les Pigeons au Petit Poi, 2010, disappeared, has an undisclosed amount uh, for the reward. Picasso's Harlequin Head uh, disappeared October 2012, has a reward offered of undisclosed amount. How about this one? Jan, Jean Van X, the Just Judges from Ghent Altarpiece, disappeared in 1934. The reward is undisclosed, although 1 million Belgian francs were demanded as a ransom. So someone actually stole it and is trying to get a ransom for it or was at least, Cezanne's view of Orv-sur-Ois, which is the same place we talked about earlier with uh, Van Gogh, disappeared in 2000, an undisclosed amount as the ransom. Raphael's portrait of a young man disappeared in 1945, undisclosed amount. Caravaggio's nativity with St. Francis and St. Lawrence disappeared in '69. This used to hang in the Oratory of San Lorenzo, Palmero, Sicily, until 1969 when it was removed from its frame. And then the church, the local mafia, are the prime suspects, although the 17th century painting's location remains unknown. But here's one, tying it back to the topic of the day. 
Van Gogh's congregation leaving the Reformed Church in Nguyen disappeared in 2002, a reward of 870,000 pounds. This painting is one of two stolen from the Vincent Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam in 2002. Two thieves broke into the building through the roof, managed to steal congregation leaving the Reformed Church at uh, Nguyen and the view of the sea uh, in just a few minutes. Together, the works are thought to be worth 25 million pounds. Although Dutch police convicted two men a year later, the paintings remain unrecovered. And finally, Vermeer's The Concern disappeared in 1990. The reward is 3.2 million pounds. Vermeer's painting was also the victim of Isabella Stewart Gardner's museum theft, valued at 130 million pounds. It is thought to be the most valuable, unrecovered, stolen painting in history. So it's worth 130. The reward is 3.2 million. Wow. Now, when you talk about Vincent van Gogh, he was a Dutch painter, but he is not one of the old masters. The old masters would be, of course, the most famous, Rembrandt, uh, Vermeer. You would recognize, of course, Rembrandt, a number of his paintings. Vermeer would be probably his most uh, famous is the girl with a pearl earring. You'd recognize it if you saw it. Peter Bruegel, the Elder. Uh, you'd recognize some of his, his work as well if you've been around art at all. Jan Steen from the 1600s. Hieronymus Bosch. Lucas van Leyden. Franz Hals. Hendrik Terbruggen. And William Kelf. Oh, and of course, Rachel Reutsch. These are all famous Dutch masters. So if you ever hear someone say, oh, well, it's not as pretty as the Dutch masters, well... Now you know. That does not include Van Gogh. He wasn't from that period of time. Most expensive paintings in history? You would not believe how much money people have spent on paintings. Oil, paint, different types of, of, of mediums placed on canvas. Uh, let's see here. Galgan's 1982 picture of two Tahitian girls smashed the record for the world's most expensive single work of art, when Qatar, or Qatar, bought the canvas from a Swiss collector for almost $300 million just a couple years ago. This was back in 2015, just last year, 2015. $274 million for the card players by Paul Cezanne. Qatar had previously held the record with this work bought in 2011. One of dozens of major Western works in museums have snapped, they have snapped up in recent years. It featured a two-story fenced, uh, faced card players, two stony-faced card players, sorry, models selected by Suzanne from his family's estate. And uh, just just crazy how much. $186 million for number six, Violet, Green, and Red by Mark Rothko. This is bought by a Russian billionaire. Um, then, of course, uh, $179.3 million, Les, Les Femmes d'Alger by Pablo Picasso. Um, this was uh, his his take on a previous painting he had seen, and then there are just a number of others. But people spending 150 million or more, there there are at least eight or nine here that are all over 100, 120 to 150 million dollars for a painting. Now, when you talk about painting styles, and I'll wrap it up with this, there are at least ten very popular. Modern painting styles. This is from eBay because if you're on eBay and you're searching for art, you want to know what you're buying. There's abstract art, of course, abstract. 
refers to a style of painting that does not use figurative reality as a reference. Instead, the artist alludes to their subject, reduces it into a simplified form. Surrealism. Are you surreal? No, it's, it's, that's, are you for real? Surrealism is a modern painting style that juxtaposes various images together to give a startling effect. Conceptual art, modern art style, where the artist believes that the concept more important than the artwork itself. The artists believe that while they conceive the work, it's completed by the viewer. Pop art, of course, popular art, abstract expressionism. Uh, was This was a reaction to that in the mid-1950s. Photorealism, from the name itself, photorealist painting is one that looks realistic as a photograph, done by taking a picture of a subject and then painting it. Hyperrealism. Hyperrealism is an advancement in photorealism art movement. Artists use high-resolution cameras to take photographs and paint them on canvas. Compared to photorealism, however, hyperrealist paintings have exaggerated shadows and inanimate objects display lifelikeness, even though they do not normally possess these qualities. Minimalism is what it sounds like. Art movement that is expected and characterized by simplicity strips down the subject to its very essence. Futurism, painting style that concerns itself with subjects like technology, speed, violence, and the future of the world. Impressionism, one of the earliest modern painting styles that originated in Paris, characterized by thin brush strokes and an emphasis on the depiction of light. And finally, fauvism. Fauvism is an art movement which occurred sometime after Impressionism. While Impressionism retains somewhat realistic representation of subjects, fauvist paintings focus on strong color. Artists employ the styles with wild brushstrokes and highly simplified subjects. So, those are all the different ones. And then finally, I don't know if this worked out so well for Van Gogh, but did you know that there are mental health benefits for art for everyone? This comes from the BeBrainFit.com website. Art can create or relieve stress. Creating art can relieve stress. It can also encourage creative thinking. It can boost self-esteem and provide a sense of accomplishment. It increases brain connectivity and plasticity. Art lessons make children better students for life, at least according to this article. It increases empathy, tolerance, and feelings of love. Improves quality of life for dementia patients. It eases the burden of chronic health conditions. And finally, it just says simply, art is for everyone. And what's the difference between creating art versus art therapy? Anyone can benefit from creating art, but sometimes it's best to seek help from a professional. Art therapists or healthcare professionals with backgrounds in both art and psychology or counseling. They usually have a master's degree and must complete a thousand supervised hours working with clients. Art therapy can be used to improve physical, mental, and emotional well-being. You should consider art therapy if you're experiencing any of these situations. High-stress occupation, mental health disorder, learning disability, brain injury, or chronic illness. Art used as therapy has successfully helped people with anxiety, depression, addictions, PTSD, chronic pain, cancer, high blood pressure, bipolar disorder, dementia, and Alzheimer's, and other serious health and mental health conditions. That's the value of art, people. It's not not a bad way to... uh, to uh, relieve your stress is to do a little art therapy. I think that's that's probably valid. At least I read about it on the internet. Hey, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, one final topic. The question, does it matter whether God exists? And we'll explore that when we come back. This is Live Till 5. I'm Jared Baldwin, your host. 
Friday afternoon, October 28th, 4.51 p.m. if you're listening live. Stick around more live till 5 after this short break. Walk with me, walk with me, Lord, God, walk with me, while I'm on this old tedious journey, I want Jesus to walk with me. And we're back with the last few minutes of Live Till 5, 4.54 p.m. on Friday, October 28th. If you're listening live, I encourage you to tune in. Saturdays, noon to 2, Sunday nights, 7 to 9 p.m. If you miss any part of the show, we rebroadcast it in its entirety. Or you can download the podcast, go to khmg.org, about five different ways, six different ways you can listen that way, including podcasts of this show and other things we produce here locally at KHMG. Let me just relay a podcast question from this crossexamined.org. It's a little devotional, apologetics devotional that I was reading this week. And uh, by Eric Chabot, I think is how you say his name, Chabot. After talking to hundreds of college students for several years about spiritual beliefs, one thing that comes up from time to time is whether the existence of God is even relevant. In other words, the discussion kind of goes like this, quote, I don't see what the difference God would make in my life, end quote. As a matter of fact, at this moment, we're in the midst of promoting an event at a large college campus called Stealing from God. That's what this, this gentleman is uh, promoting here. You can check him out, crossexamine.org. Anyway, uh, to the comment, I don't see what difference God would make in my life, displays a very pragmatic view of truth. And uh, this writer has discussed this many times in his writings, and you can check him out. But here are worldview questions that are affected by your belief of whether or not God exists. For example, these things you need to be able to answer, and the existence of God affects these questions. Origins. How did it all begin? Where did we come from? The human condition. What went wrong? What is the source of evil and suffering? Redemption. What can we do about it? How can the world be set right again? Morality. Human rights. Human dignity. What is the basis for morality? In other words, how do we know what is right and wrong? What is the basis for human rights, moral values, moral duties, human dignity, and equality? History. What is the meaning of our history? Where is history going? Death. What happens to a person at death? Epistemology. Why is it possible to know anything at all? Ontology. What is reality? What is the nature of the external reality all around us? And purpose. What is man's purpose in the world? Now, after looking at these worldview issues, I think that the one that is the question that is the most pressing is the one of morality, human rights, and human dignity. And these are the ones, of course, he's talking about college students, especially those that are skeptical, those that maybe have doubts. But it is important to answer that question. Uh, Does God exist, and why does that even matter? And it affects every area of our life. I encourage you to get into God's Word, study that for yourself, find yourself at a a Bible-preaching, Bible-teaching church this Sunday. Sunday morning here at Harvest Baptist Church, if you don't have a church home, you don't have a church family, I'd encourage you to come visit us here. 9.30 a.m. is our adult Bible fellowship classes. These are all Bible study-type classes. Uh, We have like a college-level Bible class going on in our auditorium at 9.30 a.m. this week. 
10.30 a.m., our morning worship service. I encourage you to come and visit. Pastor Joe Hensel will be our guest speaker this Sunday as Pastor Heron's still off-island. Sunday evening, we have our small groups where we meet in homes, watch care. That's this week. And so you can uh, get plugged into a, a family or a group of people in the same demographic as yourself and get to make some friends here at Harvest Baptist Church if you don't have a church home. If you have a church home, be faithful to that. Hopefully it's it's one, I'd encourage you to be faithful to it if it is one, that where they open God's Word and they preach from that. And it's not just people's opinion, but it is the fact of God's Word being relayed to you, and you're encouraged to check it out for yourself, not just take the pastor's word for it, or not just take the the uh, worship leader's word for it, but make sure that it it is checking out with God's Word, because that is really the most important thing. And you do need to know that God exists, and you do need to know that He loves you, and He has a plan for your life, and He can set things right, whether in here or in eternity. And so uh, that's my challenge to you this weekend, is make it to church, and uh, we invite you here. Certainly, we'd love to have you. Make sure you stop by the Harvest House uh, Holiday Craft Fair, if you're listening to this, either tonight, Friday night, or uh, rebroadcast on Saturday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. There's going to be a lot of great stuff there. And the proceeds for the entry and some of the other things go to Harvest House, our foster care ministry here on Guam. We could definitely use the support. So come on over and support Harvest House and the foster care community of Guam, 10 to 5 on Saturday, October 29th. And that's about it for Live Till 5, the fastest three hours of my week. Glad you could tune in with us here on 88.1 FM, KHMG, Harvest Family Radio, Barragata, Guam. We'll talk to you next week.